This is Reforming Thomas, the Baptist Presbyterian. Howdy folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, hope this finds you well. I'm just going to take a quick moment to introduce what I'm trying to do. We're going to call this Thomas's Adventures in Narnia, unless that turns into something that I can't tolerate any longer. Uh, just to let you know where I'm going with this uh, next few weeks, this project that I want to work on. Uh, one thing is people, sometimes I come off very passionate. And I don't really mean that much by it. Sometimes I am, you know, I do. Uh, that's that's certainly true. But it's not always the case. So I've been told at times that I'm very opinionated. Uh, people maybe take me more serious than I intend for them to because I sound more serious than I intend to. I'm going to be very careful and try really hard not to sound like I am upset about Narnia. I love Narnia. That's the whole reason I want to do this. But sometimes I'm going to say things and criticize things uh, that that need to be said and need to be criticized, not because Lewis did anything necessarily, but because they're there and they need to be talked about. So with my out further ado, let me share with you where we're going here. Why this? Why now? Ask a group of Christians to list their favorite books and authors apart from the Bible, and one name is always going to pop up, and that is C.S. Lewis, without fail. And one could almost take that exercise a step further and say, all right, besides the Bible and the Chronicles of Narnia, what are the books you find most influential? Influential, Because everyone is going to list that series, almost everyone. List that series. If it's not in their top books, it's formative to their experience as a reader, as a Christian, or as both. So for nearly 75 years now, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis has captivated, inspired readers of all ages. And for Christians, these books represent the very pinnacle of Christian fiction writing. No one has really captured the imagination while simultaneously pressing forward Christian doctrine like Lewis did in this seven-volume series. And the closest to that would be J.R.R. Tolkien, who I would argue is a better writer of fantasy, hands down. Uh, but his prose is less intentionally analogous to scripture. Uh, there's some jokes out there, you know, where someone, I saw, it was a meme once, and someone walked up to Tolkien and said, so Lord of the Rings is about World War One, isn't it? And Tolkien says, if you ever say something like that to me again, I will shoot you. And then on the bottom panel, it's C.S. Lewis, and his thought bubble is saying, if people don't understand that Aslan is Jesus, I will burn myself. You know, like it just, they're very different books. Uh, so outside of Tolkien, everything in Christian fiction is held against the standard of Lewis's Narnia. No, no doubt, no question to that. And this gift that we have of this Christian-friendly literature has been an inspiration to many who find Lewis's treatment of theology through the framework of his own mythological world, we find that accessible, we find it very palatable. Especially where the lion Aslan is concerned, you know, laypersons revel 
in showing the clear parallels that exist to Christ on the cross and the forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. They see a one-to-one correlation of the works of Lewis and the biblical narrative, and we just relish the opportunity to introduce our children to this world in hopes that it will deepen their love, their love for and understanding of the gospel. We just hope that these books will help with that. And I think for many, they really do. So valuable as this sort of resource is, and I would argue day and night, and I probably will argue throughout the next several weeks, that Lewis's contribution to Christian philosophy is a net positive across the board. It's just not the easy theology primer that many wish it were. Lewis's fiction is, in fact, just that, fiction. That seems obvious, but hear me out. Uh, For one, the analogies to Scripture lose their one-to-one ratio the moment the reader sets down the line, the witch, and the wardrobe. And even then, the work of Aslan on the stone table is found sorely lacking when stacked against the work of Christ on the cross. Christian and scriptural themes permeate every page of the narrative, and it's wonderful, but these are not without a modest share of troubling statements and ideas, the likes of which fly in the face of sound biblical theology. Now, there, like I said, there's a danger here that you may think I have an issue with C.S. Lewis that I doubt his credentials or his faith, that I may even find his motivations and written materials suspect. No, no, far from it. I find his work, even when I disagree with his presuppositions, to be of tremendous value. He will forever be among my favorite authors and apologists. Uh, Lewis is by far one of my favorite writers. The Chronicles of Narnia aside, uh, the Space Trilogy, The Great Divorce, the screw tape letters, mere Christianity, until we have faces, are all books that would make a top twenty list for me. And and if you're not familiar with the breadth of his work, that's neither the whole of his works that I've read, nor is it even half of what he produced in his lifetime. So while my own writing is not meant to emulate Lewis, I would be lying if I said I if I said that he was not a major influence on my work and the way I write and the way I try to write. So no, my beef is not with the author. Maybe better put, my beef is with irresponsible readers. And you may also think that I'm here to ruin your favorite works of fiction. I am not. My hope is to enrich your enjoyment of them as mine has been enriched by giving deeper thought to the theological ramifications of the work. The Chronicles of Narnia are a phenomenal resource to the modern Christian, but they are not a substitute for biblical study and sound theology. And I have no doubt Lewis would have said the same. Yet, the human tendency is to long for simple solutions, and it's created a lazy approach to these works. It's created a lazy approach to scripture too. And we have this set it and forget it approach, which we put the books in their hands and it sends our children running through the doors of the wardrobe, but fails to address the after effects when the lamppost leads them back to the real world. 
Why, you may ask, is any of this a problem when it's just fiction, Thomas? Chill out. Well, first of all, it's not often treated like that. We don't treat it like fiction. We know it's fiction. But many people, knowingly or unknowingly, will hold Lewis's work at the same level, if not somewhat just a little over and above scripture and especially great works of theology. Because, I mean, why read Calvin when Lewis has theology and sword fights? Second, with no explanation or further discussion, the reader who is engrossed in Narnia and not taking it back to scripture may readily adopt poor theological positions without fully understanding what it is they have adopted. Right off the bat, the ransom theory of atonement stands out, as does a sort of works-based universalism. Yeah, they're both in there. And that's not me saying that Lewis is teaching those doctrines. It's fiction. hes I don't think he's teaching them. But when you hold the work in such high esteem, you may very easily make an assumption of the validity of all the ideas presented, even though it's fiction. So then come other questions, which can muddle both our understanding of theology as well as our enjoyment of the books as they are. So when you're moving through the series, you might see the analogous relationship of Peter and Miraz to David and Goliath. But what's the rest of Prince Caspian about? And if it's really just a retelling of 1 Samuel 17, why write it? Shasta sounds a lot like Moses in his origin story. But the rest of that story doesn't line up with Exodus quite the same way. The magician's nephew suggests ex nihilo creation. But in other works, Lewis seems to presuppose a form of evolutionary theory to shape and mold his view of scripture. So how do you reconcile that? Is the last battle a direct retelling of Revelation just set in Narnia? I certainly hope not. I don't believe it is. These and many other issues are really just not discussed. Uh, the books are handed out with encouragement to those youngest in the faith, but seldom do we teach them inside of a biblical framework. And that leads to statements like this one, which I have heard in real life, and they have annoyed and haunted me for my entire adult life. Quote, I make sure each of my students reads Narnia so they hear the gospel at least once. Narnia has great value, but it is not the gospel. Lewis has much to offer us in way of illustration, but his work is not Theonostas. It is not God-breathed. And Lewis did not for a moment think that it was such. And we must never treat it as such. Yet I feel that many, albeit with the best of intentions, inadvertently do just that. So, with this in mind... It is the goal and objective in the coming weeks on this podcast that we will look at this series of classic Christian fiction with fresh eyes 
We'll work from biblical principle to find the illustrative correlations in the text, which may prove beneficial, while identifying those aspects of the books which should otherwise be regarded as fiction. In doing so, these books take on a new role, and I would argue their intended role in the Christian conversation as a tool in the belt of the Christian thinker, which may be wielded by young and old alike, rather than as a replacement for deeper study of scripture and systematic theology. I can't put it any simpler than that. I look forward to getting into this with you. It may take me a little more time as I prepare each episode. So bear with me. Please do send your questions to baptistpresbyterian at gmail.com. Any thoughts, experiences, observations about the Chronicles of Narnia or anything else that's on your mind. And I look forward to joining you on this walk through some of the best books that have ever been written. If you want to read the books for yourself, uh, they're readily available. You can find PDFs online everywhere for free if you don't want to spend the money on the books. Uh, each book is about a three-hour read. Uh, and that, for me, I'm a maybe four, but I'm a slow reader. Uh, so if you want to keep up, you've got plenty of time to read. So with that... I look forward to doing this with you. We will see you soon.